Hello, awesome people. Welcome to Embrace the Pivot. I'm Dr. C. Robinson, your host for the show. Join me as we discover what pivoting actually means and how you can embrace your pivot during life's transition. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome back to the Embrace the Pivot podcast. I'm so happy to be here with you this week. My guest for today is extraordinary. Susie Levan is a spiritual leader, author, philanthropist, community leader. She's an author and her book, What a Near-Death Experience Can Teach Us About Loss, Resilience, and Love, was number one on the near-death experiences category for Amazon. And she has a powerful forward by multi-Grammy award-winning artist, Gloria Estevan. Susie's story of seriously just personal pivots, emotional pivots, mental pivots, and her resilience to keep going after this unimaginable kidnapping that occurred while she was in her home with, it was herself and her daughter and the kidnappers wanted money and what she went through, and how she was able to remain calm enough to keep her daughter calm. It is giving me chills just thinking about it. I hope no one ever, ever has to experience what Susie has experienced. She is not only inspirational, but she is a symbol of hope. Everyone, please welcome Susie. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Cheryl. I have a book out called Getting to, Forgi- Getting to Forgiveness, What a Near-Death Experience Can Teach Us About Loss, Resilience, and Love, with a forward by Gloria Estevan. So I would love to have you take us through that journey and what sparked the idea to write the book. Wow. Well, that's a lot. That's a mouthful, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> that's about... Let's see, that's about 32 years. Where do I start? <laughs> but um, it really has been a, an incredible journey. And, you know, as, as your, your program says, life is all about pivoting. And I totally believe that. I don't think that I would be here today without having pivoted many different times in my life. And um, what I do know is that life is full of ups and downs and emotional highs. And for me, I've had some gut-wrenching and challenging lows which can take us in a direction where um, life as we know it will never be the same again. And I can tell you from my own experience, that's that's how my life has been a roller coaster of ups and downs and highs and lows, which I think everyone can relate to in in their lives. Sometimes though, we need to stop to catch our breath um, to realize that, uh, that that very moment that our life has changed forever. And when they, they happen, they really happen and they can hit you like, like a ton of bricks. And um, sometimes it's a traumatic event like I had, which is overwhelming and beyond anything you could possibly imagine. And like imminent death, you know there's no turning back. So my story really started in, in, uh, on December 21st of 1988, which is a day I will never forget. 38 years, I was 38 years old. And my life ceased to exist. I was chief operating officer of a public company at the time, a very male-dominated uh, business. And 
I had just gotten married 90 days earlier. And um, I had a daughter from a previous marriage. I had actually two daughters. But my daughter uh, that lived with us was seven years old. My husband was a banker. And um turned out we became targets of a, of a bank robbery and then a kidnapping. Ugh. Lauren and I would spend five hours in a stifling trunk of a car as hostages in the, in the extreme Florida heat. We survived, as you could tell, but barely. And during that time, I experienced a near-death experience, which, by the way, at that time, hardly ever conversations about near-death experience or books or, you know, it was not my genre. I had no idea what a near-death experience was. And so it was a big shock and surprise to me when all of a sudden, I thought we were going to, after driving and driving and driving and they left us to die, I assumed we were now in this metal coffin that I I said to my daughter, why don't we close our eyes? I'm thinking we're going to die of asphyxiation and if our eyes are closed and we're sleeping, maybe it won't be as difficult and we'll just take our last breath. And I was doing everything in my power to not traumatize this child. So during the drive for those hours, I, would, I was telling her stories, I was singing her songs, I was holding her tight, doing everything, again, to make her feel, you know, peaceful and not traumatized. All the while, I was holding on to this terror and this fear and this feeling of, you know, imminent death. So I could hear the fact that she had closed her eyes and, and started to breathe differently and, and was now napping somewhat. Of course, I wasn't going to nap. I was trying to figure out what what my next move was. Of course, we're now in a Mercedes trunk, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden, thought that popped into my head was, I'm going to pray the 23rd Psalm, which is a a prayer that I've heard at many funerals in my lifetime, at, at, uh, you know, the eulogies before the uh, casket is put in in the ground, etc. So I'm thinking, we're in a metal casket. I'm going to pray the 23rd Psalm, and I just don't know where that's going to take me. And all of a sudden, at the end of the prayer, when the prayer is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie in green pastures, right? He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And at the end of that prayer, I said, God, if there is a God, angels, if there are angels, guides, if there are guides, please take me. I don't, my daughter doesn't deserve to die this way. And all of a sudden, my physical body is still in the trunk, but my soul, my spirit, is now literally flying. Wow. Traveling, traveling through this tunnel of light into this heavenly realm. And at some point in time, the speed, I'm like, just, just I don't even know what the speed is. I'm just traveling so fast. When all of a sudden I stop and I'm now surrounded by these incredible beings of light. And... They're all speaking to me telepathically. I could hear them speak because I'm speaking to myself in my mind, wondering what is going on. <sighs> you know, where am where am I? What's going on? You know, and so they're responding to me telepathically. It was really a a, a feeling and a, of love and peace and safety. And so I, I really I, I didn't know what was happening. Obviously, I was very confused, but at the same time. They then proceeded to show me a life review, like this big white screen appeared. And I had now seen an entire life review of where I was from the moment I was 
conceived to now my 38 years. And it was pretty, pretty uh, eye-opening, if, if there's a, such a word at this point in time. It was beyond anything I could have imagined. And I could see where I felt loved and at peace and when I felt hurt and when I had hurt others and when people betrayed me and when I forgave people. It was really an amazing process for me to watch my own film, if you will. And then I immediately, when that was over, um, I felt this humongous presence to the right of me. I felt very, this energy. And the energy spoke to me, and, and, and they said, it said, I don't even know how to characterize what it was, but he, he said, I'm Arch Archangel Michael, and I've been with you for many lifetimes, watching over you and protecting you, and, this is, and I'm here now with you as well. Well, you know, imagine going life review, surrounded with beings of light, telepathically receiving all sorts of messages, Archangel Michael, and all of a sudden I say, where's my daughter? Are we dead? And they proceeded to tell me, look down, and look down, and there we were in fetal position. My eyes are closed, her eyes are closed, we're not dead. And they said, no, you're not dead, you have lots to do yet. And um, with that, they gave me like this energetic goodbye hug, and I, as quickly as I had come up, now I'm going back the other direction. And at the same speed, if you will, and all of a sudden, you hear this thud, and my daughter wakes up, and she starts to cry, and I open my eyes unexpectedly because of the noise and my daughter crying, and above our head, there's an opening now the size of a baseball, allowing oxygen to literally pour in. And we could see the little light uh, sparkles coming in, but the oxygen is now pouring in, allowing us to breathe because technically there is no no air in this in this uh in a coffin if you will the trunk of the car um or it's called the boot some of the other podcasts that I've done you know from different countries and so you know I just can't understand how this happened my daughter says to me did you just make that hole mommy and i said mommy was with god and the angels and this is obviously a miracle to to keep us alive so I wanted to put my hand on my finger through this hole so badly, but on the same token, I knew this was a message or a gift, a miracle that we were given to survive. Now, a little while later, we hear screeching cars. I could, by the way, we could see the, the, the sky. We could see clouds. We could see uh, electrical lines. So I assumed that we must have been in town as opposed to the Everglades, which is what I thought we were uh, where we were. So a little while later, the um, screeching cars come and it's the press and lawyers and bankers and my husband and they pop open the trunk and we jump out like a jack-in-the-box and little did they, you know, they didn't expect us to be alive, of course, so they, they were, their mouths dropped and um, when they were closing the trunk, I immediately went to show my husband this opening in the trunk where now it was no longer there. I was like wow. fingering it, like, where, where is it? Where is it? Where? And he, he thought, you know, what is she doing? How did you get that strength to comfort your daughter when that had to be the most terrifying experience you've ever been through? It totally was and will always be 
the most harrowing and horrific and scary. And the truth is, I I don't understand. Um, you know, sometimes how you see in movies where a child is under a car and a mother all of a sudden pulls the car up with all mm-hmm. her strength to to save the child. Well, I think that we all have this innate ability that's within us when we are put in situations where we can, um, you know, take care of someone else that we love so much and, in fact, are prepared to give our life for, which I was. The strength was just, has always been there. You have it. Everyone has it. And that sense of power. And so, unfortunately, there's a good and a bad to that. I... I was holding on to the to the fear, to the um, energetic. I was stuck in this energetic energy, if you will, in that in the trunk the whole time, trying to be, you know, upbeat and happy, and everything's okay, and Alan's going to take care of us, and he'll come find us. I had told her we were playing hide and go seek when we got in the trunk of the car, so she technically was um, at peace with that. And as a seven year old, she's with mom. We're in a car. Oh, what the heck? This is fun. You know, whatever. She really didn't understand the severity or the possibility of us not surviving. And I wasn't going to have that conversation. But I knew all the while that that was our, where they, you know, the, the end, that this was our last day. So I, I think that that's where the strength came from. It was everything I had was to survive and to keep her alive and that I was prepared to give my life for her. And that's what I said at the, at the end of my prayer. You know, please take me. She does not deserve to die this way. Please take me. And that's when and, literally when I went over to the other side. Uh, how quick or how long would you say that you were on the other side? You know, I've been asked that question many times. And the truth is, I, I really don't know because I had no no way of telling time and space at that point. And, um, but I was told that I had lots to do to empower women to come back and teach people how to meditate and to, uh, you know, that my spirit, my soul had now shifted and changed and that uh, I had lots to do. And so, you know, I felt very empowered at that moment. But unfortunately, when I came back and, we finished, you know, dealing with the FBI and police and all the different entities that wanted us to give them information about these three gunmen. For the next two years, I was in a deep hole of hopelessness and despair because I lived in excruciating psychological and physical pain. Um, my body was holding on to the trauma of the kidnapping and every bone and every muscle, every cell, every tissue. And I was crying much of the time. I was in a rage. I couldn't sleep every time I closed my eyes. I, I could see these people in my mind's eye. No matter what, the beauty of what I experienced on the other side, I was stuck on the physical level, right? I couldn't care for my husband, who i just been married three months. I couldn't care for my daughter. And most days, I, was, I couldn't get out of bed. I, I couldn't even string two or three days together because there was no way that I could feel um, that I could and so I lost sight of that and the truth is that I lost so many things during that time I never went back to my home where I lived for six years I never went back to my my work my career where I was for 16 years and I also lost 
my 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 safety and security. I felt, uh, you know, obviously that I was terrified, and no matter what happened, I I could see these kidnappers' faces um, oh. every time every time I closed my eyes. So there was no escaping um, what was going on. And I later found out that I was I was like a prisoner of war. I was feeling a lot of um, post traumatic stress, and really didn't know what that was and never, you know, connected the two together, but it took a while. I mean, I had nightmares. I had day mirrors. I had, um, you know, I, I felt like I was being eaten alive, if you will. And and it took a, a good two years for me to pull myself together from this abyss, from the edge, if you will, of this cliff of darkness, because this was like a dark night of the soul for me. And I feel like I needed to experience the light and the dark in order to come out. You know? and, and, and what, and what, what was that moment for you to start coming out of the darkness? Cause I don't think anyone would blame you or judge you if you never did that. that I, I'm thankful. I never had to experience that. My God, I'm over here with my mouth is just dropped wide open for what you had to go through. So what was that moment well, for you to say, okay, let's move forward? Well, <clears throat> you know, the funny part is, or the sad part is, I won't use the word funny, but, you know, from the outside, everything looked okay. We hadn't been hurt, you know, physically or in any way other than, obviously, me, I was, I needed to heal mentally and emotionally. But as, you know, the, the pivot moment or the transformation moment for me to take action was that I had to learn to embrace the uncertainty um, and that I I was, I was wanted to go back to live with joy and peace and love and acceptance and have my family again. Um, but what happened was, again, I didn't have a kumbaya group either that I could call and everybody could talk about it or hang out together. I mean, I was, I was literally, I, you might as well have stuck me in a closet because that's how I felt that I was. And by the way, I forgot to tell you, I had Wackenhut guards 24 hours a day outside my house. So think about who was in prison in so right. many, you know, on so many different levels, right? So um, my husband and I talked about it, and, you know, he could just feel my suffering. And, of course, his experience was so totally different than mine. His experience was he got in a car, drove with the mastermind to the bank and had to fill a suitcase with cash oh my god so, uh, so it was a totally different experience his was more external while right. mine was more inter more internal right and he did everything in his power by the way and still to this day thank god we're still married very happily trying to figure out how he could help me and of course that's what men want to do is try and you know help and solve problems right but he couldn't help me till one day Somebody said to him, have you thought about therapy? Now, in those days, this is 1988, therapy was not a big, you know, thing. People did not do it right. or they did it, but it wasn't something that <clears throat> the everyday Joe did. And we were the everyday Joe. So after feeling this helplessness and powerlessness and paralysis, literally, because I, believe it or not, my physical body had shut down. I couldn't even walk to the bathroom. My yeah. legs were frozen. My legs were frozen. Um, but I took a step, and this is where the pivot comes in. 
I had to acknowledge that I was not able to go through this by myself, couldn't heal by myself all alone, and I was going to need help. And ultimately, I literally felt like I was a victim, you know, and I couldn't, I did not want to be a victim. I was always a very strong person to begin with. And I think that, you know, I always felt that I was very resilient and able to solve problems. And, you know, again, I was chief operating officer of the company. So that was very much a part of my blueprint, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I didn't know what to do. So I literally started to pray. Prayer is very much a part of my life, and I'm not the most religious person in the world. And religion has nothing to do with my healing process other than the fact that I had this incredible experience with the near-death experience, and I had this, this miracle. So now, after having got on my knees and prayed, and I said, if this is what you brought me back to feel and suffer for the rest of my days, you should have killed me. You should have allowed me to die because, you know, this is the worst ever. Please send me help. I need help. And I asked for help, literally. I didn't know what in what form help was going to come. But how, asking for help was a giant decision. Up to that point, I had not really asked for help. I was just so stuck in the pain and all the, you know, the circumstances of it. So I slept that night like I hadn't slept in two years. And I dreamt that this, that I was supposed to go to this in, this um, beauty salon that had a manicure station, and I was to sit next to a woman who was going to be the person that I needed to speak to, who would be the person that would help me heal. Now imagine how I've been for two years, and I then tell my husband this this dream. Luckily, my husband didn't think I was crazy, and accepted everything I said to him because all I could do was cry. And tell him how, you know, how I just didn't know what to do anymore. But could he drive me on Saturday morning? And that I could, I didn't know where we were going, but I kind of knew the area. And I would see and I would know the beauty salon. Well, lo and behold, he, he took me. The beauty salon was on the second floor. We, I walked up the stairs. I asked for an appointment. I sat down. Now, mind you. I had not left my house in two years, trying to figure out how to brush my hair, what put what clothes I was going to wear, all of those things that, you know, you have to look to look normal. So I now plop next to this uh, wonderful person. I immediately smile at her. She smiles back a little bit into the process. I say to her, hey, I'm just curious, what do you do? And she says, I'm a pastoral counselor and hypnotherapist. And I said, wow. really, that's very interesting. Right. That's very interesting. Can I get your card? Maybe I can call you in the next couple of days. Just sure. As soon as I finish my manicure, I'll give you my card. Well, Suzanne turned out to be the woman that allowed me to heal. She was a hypnotherapist. She was a pastoral counselor. She uh, was very involved and knowledgeable of near-death experiences and spirituality and metaphysics and just allowed me to, to step into my power, if you will, and got rid of all my fears, all the, uh, you know, everything that I had been feeling. And, and she provided me with the foundation, if you will, and, and, and the interpretation um, of all the, all the uh, messages that I had been given. And what was the power that you unveiled for yourself? The power? Well, yeah. one of the power, 
I became very psychic after this um, experience, which I, again, had no knowledge of, didn't understand, Mm -hmm. um, couldn't pick up a cell phone, couldn't pick up a portable phone in the house, couldn't walk past lights, um, started receiving all sorts of messages that I didn't understand or could explain. But she just opened my heart in different ways. She allowed me to see things the way, you know, they were intended. Um, the messages that I had received meta, uh, telepathically from these beings of light was that I was to empower women and to teach meditation. And I ended up channeling a med- two meditation tapes with Stephen Halpern, who's a New Age ambient music musician that, um, who was a, uh, uh, nom- nominated by well, you know, for the Grammy, and I just, you know, I just was very. Uh, it was a transformation. It took time. This, by the way, it was not something that happened overnight. I would go to her one day a week, and then two days a week, and then three days a week, and then I, you know, stepped it back when I was feeling better. And and I feel that you know, to me, uh, here I was in a male-dominated business, and now it was for me to help women with new tools. Um, to teach them how to heal themselves because in order for me to heal, I, I needed to be shown, you know, how I could heal. So I actually, in order to, to get um, the qualifications I needed, I went back to school. I became a certified non-denominational pastoral counselor, a hypnotherapist, a Reiki master, a teacher of meditation, a life coach. And so all of these things were all you know, part and parcel, the things I needed to be qualified to then help other women um, heal from their own traumas and their own journey and, you know, to be heard and to understand that everything happens for a reason. And, you know, the irony is I wouldn't change a moment of my journey. Did you know your kidnappers? Oh, gosh, no. No. No, no, no. In fact, they did this cross-country and some people did not survive. So they were caught in California. And the mastermind, again, I'm a very, very focused and visual person. So while they were inside my house, all three of them, they were dressed in red, white, and blue. They were wearing wigs. They were wearing trucker's hats. Oh. They were wearing sunglasses. But I paid attention to their shoes and if they were left-handed or right-handed, if, where they put their guns in the back of their pants, you know, all, all these little details to then determine that the mastermind was an albino. Is this a movie or what? Right. And no one has come to you for the movie rights yet? Oh, my goodness. I keep putting it out there. I'm hoping, you know, we got San, Sandra Bullock. I want her to play me, you know? Yeah. But anyway, it uh, no, they were caught cross-country. They thought this was a really easy cookie-cutter, you know, crime. And uh, now they were also wanted for murder, not just for bank robbery and kidnapping, but now murder. And they were caught. So how were you able to get to forgiveness with them? That's the best question ever, Dr. Cheryl. I love it. <sighs> And that's why I wrote the book, you know, it took me 30 years, 32 years to write my book because I spoke a lot about this, my process, my journey, what I experienced over the years. But everywhere I went, people would say, you need to write a book, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And, you know, 
uh, book writing, as you probably may know, is very cathartic, very not easy. It's not easy. It's different than when when you speak it, right? But really, yep. writing it is is a whole different experience. And so, anyway, um, forgiveness. What I have found out about forgiveness is that there is nothing to forgive. That if every if you can possibly imagine or believe <clears throat> that everything happens for a reason, and the reason that your your soul has chosen a soul contract, and this soul contract has actually created this experience for you for lessons and for growth what is there to forgive what did you do with that gift what did you do with that experience you know are you stuck as a victim are you are you negative are you you know whatever it is that you're feeling as opposed to saying i bless you and i thank you for showing me pulling the rug from under me in ways that i could have never imagined i couldn't have scripted this in any which way but i do thank you and I'm, and I'm, I send you blessings no matter where you are and what you've done to others, unfortunately. And not everyone sees it the same way, but you don't know. The fact is, maybe that's the, the path that they chose, that they weren't supposed to survive. You know? I, the soul contract. That's incredible. I've never heard anyone talk about that before. Soul contract. So the, so the soul contract is something that, once and this, this again, this is all information that I was given on the other side, especially when I was given my life review, and I was I was told that we all sign our our spirit because we are eternal. Our spirit is a constant is constantly reincarnating because this is just a physical body that's just a shell. Our soul is eternal, so we come back and forth as we choose because it's all our choosing. And that there is no judgment. You get to look at yourself during this life review without any judgment. You just see it for what it is. There is no negative or positive. Everything just is. And you have written your soul contract to be shown to you in whatever form so that you can grow spiritually. So that you can keep going and moving up the ladder, of you, if you will, uh, in, in your own personal spiritual growth. And so... That's what your soul contract is all about. You pick your parents. You pick where you live. You pick if you're a male or female, if you have a disability, if you're in a, uh, in a country that doesn't have any food, if you, you know, if you, um, you name it, everything is chosen by you, the spirit, the soul, and it's all in your soul contract. <clears throat> and um, we also travel in soul groups. So lots of, you know, because there's a lot of unfinished business, Sometimes other people in your family are people that you've been with many times over at, at, you know, at a different time, and it might have been your daughter, your cousin, your father, your mother, but they are still with you in this environment, teaching you new lessons for you to continue to grow. It's all about growing. When you talk to other women, how are you able to help them to go from a victim mindset to a powerful mindset to in an in-control mindset well you know basically it's about understanding this process of everything happens for a reason and that we are not victims unless we choose to be and you know i, I we we can talk about staying stuck in that victimhood and a lot of people don't want to move away from that because that has become their identity 
But for those who are open mm-hmm. to want to change and, to, and those who want to grow, want to find other ways to heal and, you know, conversation, books to read, different exercises, that's how they, they move away from being stuck. And again, pivot, pivoting in a new way. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, I've spoken it's a, it's a, to people it's a great, who... It's a great word, right? It's a great word, pivot. Yeah. Yeah, I've spoken to people who, like you said, a certain habit has become their identity and they're afraid to pivot because they're afraid of the unknown. Right, right. How, yeah. Believe me, I, I understood. I understand that more than anyone because I was terrified of the unknown. I didn't know that there was... The opportunity was there for me to find someone that could help me heal. And, you know, again, spending two years with post-traumatic stress and, and being in that dark night of the soul for all that time, not knowing what to do, where to go, who to talk to. Because like I say, you know, my family and my friends, all of them just did not, couldn't help me, didn't know how to help me. And from the outside, it all looked okay. But, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, you cannot control what's going on in your, in your mental and physical body, especially when you go through a trauma um, and you don't get professional help in one way or another. How did this experience make you closer with your husband? Well, as I say in the book, he never left me and he has never left me. My husband um, never really understood the, the depths of my despair or the depths of my, uh, the beauty of what I experienced from my near death experience, other than what I was able to tell him and explain to him. But he did, but he did, um, acknowledge and appreciate and see my psychic abilities, my electrical energy, uh, that was whacked, uh, my energy field. He, um, he knew that I could, unfortunately, again, these are not things that I asked for, but these things happened where I could actually read your mind. You were standing next to me and I would say something to you and, and you would look at me like, huh, where did that come from? And I mean, all sorts of really unique things were going on for me, but he um, has been my biggest cheerleader and um, supported me every step of the way, whatever I needed, wherever I needed to go. Um, I was lucky enough that he was my biggest cheerleader. But, you know, before we close, I also want to tell you that what we have in common is that we all do die in one day as, as you know, it's just part of you know, being human, right? Mm-hmm. So my journey, my journey, even though it was pretty traumatic, I was being, I was tested again two years ago when my daughter, who was seven years old at the time, died September 17, 2018. She died of a cancer procedure and, in fact, was getting ready to get married in January of 2019. Yeah. So, you know, talk about being tested over and over. Um, So I went through a very long, hard grief time frame for me because she was only 36 years old. And obviously, my life will never be the same without her. But, you know. I am sending you one big virtual hug right now. Thank you. Well, I didn't tell you that for you to feel sorry for me. I I believe that 
she was born to help me survive and to go through my life uh, purpose and journey. And, you know, I think we all have to come back full circle to understand loss and resilience and love because that's all we take back with us. Um, If you feel comfortable answering this question, um, I would appreciate it. If not, I totally understand through your psychic ability and your spiritual ability, are you able to connect with her in a different energy level? Yes, I do all the time. Yes, and I know she's at peace. I know, um, you know, I know that she's, and she sends me messages often. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's been really a, an interesting time. And, you know, obviously I, I also believe in counseling not just for others, but for myself. And I, I had to go to grief counseling because the truth is that when these things happen in your life, you really need someone to be a witness for you, to allow you to just fall apart, break down, cry, yell, scream, do whatever you need to do to, to connect with those emotions as opposed to you know, being stuck and being frozen because that's really what would happen. And so it's important to allow these these emotions and feelings to come up. And so I don't know if I could have done this without grief counseling. Through all of your spiritual experiences, what is one of the main things that you would like everyone to know about the spiritual journey or about the spiritual plane? Well, that's a great question. There's so many things, but um, I don't know if I can just whittle it down to one thing, but... You know, I think the one thing is that enjoy every each and every day and every moment, you know, because life is short and we're all put on this planet for a reason and a reason that only you chose. And once you understand that and that um and I'm giving you more than one, but that's okay. Everything every everything just is. There really is <clears throat> no positive or negative until you give it a charge. I love that. You should, that is a wonderful quote. I'm just saying, if you want to make a t-shirt with it, I will buy it. That's a great quote. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, but it's a truth, you know, and the the funny part is it's the most true statement I could, I could tell you because we on the, on the, on the physical plane always happens to, you know, give everything. Oh, this is good. This is bad. This is positive. This is negative. Right. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, once you've given it a charge, so shall it be. I and love so, it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience with me and your transitions and your pivots. Is there anything else you would like to talk about that we didn't touch on? Well, my book is available at, on Amazon. It became a number one on Amazon two weeks after it came out uh, in, in the uh, near-death experience genre. Um, you can also download, your, your audience can download for free uh, my two channeled meditations. Uh, it's called Meditations for Healing Stress, which so many of us have today with COVID and everything else going on in the world. And the other one is called Meditations for a Peaceful Heart. And so you can download those for free on at gettingtoforgiveness.com slash meditation. And are you on social media at all? 
I am on so all the socials. Susie Levan, author, on all the socials. Awesome. Facebook, well, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Susie Levan, author. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. My love and light to your audience, and thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure and honor. You can follow me, Dr. C, on Instagram at Embrace the Pivot. I hope all of you embrace your pivot.